Well, the most recent research tells us that we have struggles to focus our attention when we spend increasing time on digital devices. That's not a surprise to most of us, I'm sure. I mean, after all, I used to regularly read Charles Dickens, and it is a struggle for me to read Charles Dickens. Any 18th, 19th century author, because we are spending our time in front of so much computer screens and what have you. Have you found that to be the case? I certainly have. It's tough to focus. And that's tough for a guy who's already considered ADD. But the reality is that is the world we live in, isn't it? And so because of that, I, I, when I'm reading a book, if I finish one book of this century, I read something of a previous century. To keep myself focused and growing and not so straying in my thoughts. Today's text, ladies and gentlemen, our Lord gives us great focus. As we seek to be the disciples he's called us to, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We'll be venturing on from last week. We're in verse 51. And as you're turning, I want to bring you greetings. If you don't know me, my name is Gene Sherman. I am the rector of Christ Church West Shore, the mother church of Lakewood Anglican, if you will. We're proud of you. We're cheering you on and we pray for you each and every week in our gatherings together in Avon Lake. I also bring you greetings from the Diocese of the Great Lakes as I have the privilege to serve as the Dean of the Cleveland Deanery. And it is a great honor to be the Dean. The Dean's role is twofold. Number one, yes, I represent the Bishop among you to bring you the call of the Greater Diocese. And the call this year in 2019 is it's not that we're Christians just for Sunday. Sunday is not the mission. Sunday is for the mission as we go out and are dispersed across Lakewood in the city of Cleveland. And so that's why we gathered last week. And I just want to applaud you, Sean and Nick and Seth and the Mission Council, Carol. It was just great to be with you and other brothers and sisters around the Cleveland Deanery for our first gathering to ponder that question. What does it mean for us to be disciples in mission-shaped community? And we are so excited about what the Lord's doing among you. And so as we look at this text, this is an important text for us because, my friends, we live in a culture, we exist in a culture that listens with its eyes and thinks with its feelings. And this text, as God calls us to, helps us to listen with our ears, observe with our eyes, and think with the renewed minds that our Lord gives us in Jesus Christ. And so, my friends, what I think this text teaches us above all is the focus of God, the focus of his people, and living lives of such fruit of such focus. All right? So that's what this text is going to tell us. The focus of God, the focus of God's people as his disciples, and third, the fruit of such focus. Verse 51 tells us of the focus of God. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love Luke's gospel. Luke tells you right out of the batter's box in verse 1, 1 through 4, the purpose of the gospel is so that the reader can have assurance of the things that you've been taught. That we can be certain that we can set our faith on the truth of Jesus Christ. So verse 5 of chapter 1 all the way to verse 50 of chapter 9, he's teaching us what it means to be in the kingdom of God. What it is to live in the kingdom of God. And then in verse 51, it's the hinge verse of the whole gospel. And so for the next five months in Luke's gospel, we're going to learn what it means to be his followers. Very practical. And what we learned last week, what it meant for us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so for these next chapters, Jesus is teaching with the purpose of showing us what it means that he will go to the cross, he will be raised again, he will ascend. And so he sets us out on a season of discipleship. It says literally he set his face, resolved, resolute, focused, for the cross, the resurrection, and ascension. So he begins his journey toward the cross, teaching all about discipleship and what it means for us. And so my friends, as Jesus does this over the next five months, let us always remember that this is a fiercely radical call, scary at times, even discouraging at times, but we must resist the temptation to tame the texts, to make them seem more reasonable, to make them say what we want them to say. And so first we must pause and recognize first and foremost that Jesus Christ has come for our salvation and to secure that for us upon the cross. That he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we might have life abundant in the present and life eternal awaiting us in the future. That's good news. And he was laser focused on that for you and me. Secondly, we see that the focus of the Christian, jumping a little further to verse 57, Jesus is saying in verse 57, if you want any experience of me, if you want to have anything to do with me, if you want to have any relationship with me, you are my disciple. He's just said that in 9.22 where he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But he comes to this really extraordinary call with the guys that are really questioning him. And what he's saying in these response to these questions is there are not two kinds of Christian, Christians out there. There's not the garden variety Christian for most folks and then the super Christians who memorize scripture or serve on vestry or go to diocesan council, whatever it might be. No, there's only one kind of Christian and that Christian is a disciple. And the root of the word disciple is learner, growing, 
Jesus is saying in this chapter to have anything to do with me is to follow me in the way that I define it here, not the way the world does. Setting new priorities of life, a new focus, a new identity in Jesus Christ, not what the world says that you are, but how Jesus is experienced out of the new grace that he's given you as a gift. Not like the first person who in verse 57 says, I will follow you wherever, Jesus. Or like the second person who says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. In other words, uh, Jesus, I got to get my ducks a row. My dad is dying. He's getting close to the end. I got to take care of my affairs. Then I will follow you. Or like the third person who says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say farewell to my family. What does Jesus respond? Notice there's not a template for every person. There's not a mold. Here's what a Christian should look like. Boom. In some senses there are, but it's very individualized. To the first person, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you buddy, go home and you need to think about this because I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. The third guy, he says, I want to go home and think about it. And Jesus says, no, you follow me now. See what he's doing? He's personalizing the call because Jesus knows what's going on in these guys' lives. In other words, what Jesus is calling these three people to is a radical call to discipleship beyond what the culture of their day or our day calls them to. He's saying, drop your buts, your ifs, and your whens and follow Jesus. To be a Christian is to be decisive. It's to make a decision that you are going to follow him or you're not. You have to leave your old life. And what Jesus is asking them to do is to follow them. And he's asking us, have you truly left your old life? Are you truly following Jesus? Are you, are you a fan of Jesus? We have lots of fans of Jesus in our culture. Just a few followers. So to go, we first must make a decisive decision. Are you the same church-going person you were this last year? Five years, 15, 20, 30, 50? Now to go on the journey says, I'm going to give up my right to self-determination. I'm going to give up. I will obey you, Lord, and get rid of all my ifs or my buts or my whens and drop my condition. They're all gone. Not until we do that and say that to the Lord have you really begun the journey? But yet, on the other side of that journey, it is a journey. It is a decisive decision, but you don't have it all together. If you do, please tell me your secret. I would love to know. But it takes time. Living in the community of the church. Walking together. And it's crucial to keep that in mind. There's just not climbing the to-do lists of being a disciple. We do do those things. But what's our motivation? 
Because if you think discipleship is the way you're saved, by being committed and being focused and giving Jesus the priority and what's going to please God, then that's what's going to save you. You've got it. You're missing the entire point. He doesn't say, if you follow me, I'll go to the cross for you. He says, I'm going to the cross for you. Follow me. You're not saved because you're a disciple. You're a disciple because you're saved. So it takes a moment of decision and it's a journey and it's a process of sanctification, being set apart and growing in community and it's messy. I mean, at times it's really messy. When I was in seminary, I was the youth minister at Christ Church, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. And I grew up kind of like the all-American kid. Grew up in a military neighborhood where you called everybody sir and ma'am. I had full bird colonels in all segments of the military. I had a three-star general across the street, General Al Kastner. And in my neighborhood, it was important that you did well. So I kind of was the all-American kid. But when I came to Christ Church Greensburg, there were no all-American kids. I had nothing but a bunch of pot smokers, druggies, and kids that were all over the place. And it was quite fun. I took these kids to Young Life Camp because it was a partnership where the Holy Spirit fell on these kids and they all gave their lives to Christ. So we got back from camp and I'm discipling and pouring my life into these these kids, and one kid comes in, and, and I can smell it on him, you know? And we're studying the scripture about the beauty and the love of God for them in Jesus Christ. And out of his mouth came these words, and he goes, Wow, man, Jesus is the ship. But he didn't say ship. And I'm just kind of stunned. Well, yeah, he is, Paul, but let's talk about being sanctified. Let's talk about, you know, the name of Jesus and what does it mean to take our Lord's name in vain. The, the, the conversation got off in a beautiful, he had no clue. He didn't know. And we got the beauty of, you know what, this is a process and there's no condemnation for those in Christ. But he never said it again for my three years there. I don't know where he is now. But it's messy. But we need to remember that in Christ you're his treasure. And he finds his pleasure in you, dear friend, in Christ. So remember, it's a decision. It's a process. It's both together. And so we get to that point. And lastly, we see it's the fruit of a disciple's focus. So when we get to this type of focus and we're living for the Lord, one of the signs, and we saw it in the fruit of the Spirit reading, is gentleness. And what really amazes me about James and John, remember, these guys are teenagers, okay? They're really young. And they're probably trying to show Jesus their commitment. When they say, 
that these people in Samaria, these Samaritans, you know, they went into the Samaria to make preparations for him. Verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You can see that, right? Teenage boys. They've seen Jesus do amazing work. And they're thinking, hey, he can just zap them. These Samaritans. Wouldn't that be awesome? Lord, you want us just, you can do it. We'll do it for you, Lord. Just bring it down. Sodom and Gomorrah. Boom. Right? You can see that. But you know, what does Jesus say? Stop it. No, he rebukes them and just moves on. It's amazing. Here's why he does that. And I think, as I've observed, because I've seen it only not only in my life, but in others, anybody who, who really has strong convictions of any religion, any political cause, any philosophy, who are most committed and who are most hard on themselves, tend to be hard on others. I mean, they're so committed to the cause. Why aren't you committed to the cause? What's the matter with you? So James and John want to call down fire from heaven. Now, isn't this interesting? Notice, who are they calling fire down on? The Samaritans. A lot of Israelites have done things to reject Jesus. James and John didn't ask fire to come down on them. So what's going on here? There's racism. There's bigotry. There's self-righteousness. There's harshness. So here's what's different about Jesus and the gospel and the way he works in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. It's so utterly different. The harder you are on yourself in the gospel, the easier you are on others. Because Jesus Christ is saying to them, Guys, my people aren't terrorists. My disciples know that they're saved by grace. So when they look at people who aren't doing it right, they don't say, why aren't you as good as me? They don't call fire down from heaven. So he rebukes them and they moved on. Saying, guys, you don't understand it at all. You haven't had that transformed identity yet, but you will. You will. The more you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the more that self-righteousness goes away. They go away, the more central in your life, because Jesus takes the fire for you. It's our Lord who's come and taken it all for you and me. And that's the sign you're not just trying to save yourself. That's the sign you're not just being religious. That's the sign you're not trying to save yourself through just your commitment. You know, as Holly led that fruit of the Holy Spirit, gentleness is just one of them. Are you more loving, joyful, peaceful? Patient, 
kind, good, faithful, gentle, having self-control? Are you truly more tolerant of others, gracious with others, when people are around you? See, that's what, that's what happens when Jesus invades a life. He changes us. And it's truly wonderful creation because he's a truly wonderful counselor. He doesn't rubber stamp us into another mold. You are you with unique gifts to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. And so my friends, he gives you exactly what you need at the time that you follow him. He will give you all that you need in this new identity in him. So let us, as we begin this discipleship pattern for the rest of the Pentecost season, to continue to find our identity in Jesus Christ and to go forth from here each and every Sunday equipped to be the blessing in your offices, the blessing in your neighborhoods, the blessing in the gym, the restaurants, the pubs that you hang out in for his glory. And as you do so, remember, there's people who just don't get it. They don't understand yet. Why would they? And never judge a book by its cover. For I have seen the most proud, refined, highly educated, bend the knee to Jesus, and the rough, proud, carpenter's union type, bend the knee to Jesus. And it's glorious because we're focused on following the one who is focused for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a Lord who says, follow me and calls us into a radical discipleship. We see this discipleship leads to tremendous gentleness and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We see that this discipleship leads us into a joyous, stable self because our identity is found in you. And this discipleship leads us into so many great things that we could never imagine as we follow you in your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would assist us by your grace to help us to apply this all in our lives this morning and this afternoon, and that we would go home this afternoon and think about it, what truly means in each and every one of our lives, and that we would open up these scriptures and recognize that it's not just a single template, that Elijah did, Elisha did go back home and sacrificed and follow. Yet another one of us was just called to drop it all and follow him. And Lord, you would wake us up where we need to be awoken and get rid of any deadness that misses the centrality of Jesus Christ in our lives. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.